First, I wanted to say thank you to Skylight Books for um, this is kind of a, a book premiere for both Rick and myself. Our books didn't come out very long ago, about a month ago. Um, we're, we're thrilled that uh, you're hosting us here. We appreciate it. And I'm very happy to be reading with Rick. What we were just talking, um, I knew him even my first year in L.A. We've known each other for almost 20 years and probably my first real writing connection I think I've made here. So. I'm, I'm thrilled that we're able to read together tonight. And you know, I, I love your work, which is a sign to please buy um, Rick's book while, while you're here. Um, uh, one thing about Underdays that's interesting is I wrote um, a lot of it living four or five blocks from here. It's just a kind of a fun fact when I lived in uh, this neighborhood. And I'm not going to speak a lot about the book, is, except that it's kind of a journey through, you know, kind of the muck of, of life to get to sort of better days. So, um, with that being said, uh, first poem I'm going to read is The Interrogator in Retirement. He's waiting for the reverse metamorphosis, for the extra feelers to fold in or fall off, to wake one morning a man. He has been either furtive or defensive, a decorative shell for his lakeside folks, holding on for the pontoon to take them to the dim shore. He's a braggart to the thrill-seekers and smiling victims who desire to glean truth in twisted sheets, fabricating tales of terrorists set to topple America by spiking the wine at the top writers' conference. His surprisingly soft hands clutch books with blank pages alongside the corridors of ties, strangling necks and skirts exposing thighs to jackals. He squeezes pieces of bread into moist balls and attempts to decapitate pigeons, each ping bringing eventual reward. He wants to love, recklessly, but his eyes remain desert dry, unable to, veer, to view clear skies without seeing the curtains, the sun without feeling flame, the passage of days without remembering, each pleading beat of mouth, heart, and feet. Um, the next poem I'm going to read um, I use a device that I use for about a half a dozen um, poems in this collection, which is I found a sort of an old text of something that I thought was interesting, and I wove the, the lines through this. Uh, this one, Rick, is an old, uh, like a survival manual. So, survival's manual to love and war. Death is a loving dog with no children or chew toys to occupy its attention. It will lick you into submission this inevitable pack instinct to join the vast departed. The standard autopsy needle, which has a straight shank but a slightly curved tip, is good for survival sewing. Love is a dying battery and your favorite appliance you cannot live without. It is impossible to conserve this indeterminable reservoir, your capacity to burn through. Don't throw away any clothes. Pull up your socks. Close your collar. Be prepared to jump overboard. Avoid attracting or annoying sharks. Desire is a prisoner's final meal with access to the greatest chefs cooking for furlough in adjacent cells. You are at its de delicious mercy in a buffet, bubble, or bunker waiting to sit to find the price. Place your traps where the trail is narrow. Use entrails as bait and the skin as a sled to drag the meat. Home is on your back. Belief is the best-dressed bully, unwilling to let you cross a chasm in those comfortable clothes. 
There is little hope of moving past the cul-de-sacs and suits, the curvy hips and winding way. Conserve sweat by soaking clothes in the sea. Desert trails resemble interlacing cow paths. Sleep out the storm with your back to the wind. Survival is a submerged mossy beast hungrier than any living thing, a mass that roils the earth in mounds. You cannot see the holes and hills beyond the horizon, the tilled fields, the uneven terrain you'll need to surf. Take care of the injured. Provide temporary shelter. Stay at the scene of the crash unless you see land. Try to establish contact with rescuers. It will lick you into submission. It is impossible to conserve. You are at its delicious mercy. There is little hope of moving. You cannot see the holes and hills. Do not get separated from your party. The Naked Boy on the famous album cover. Did not become a model or exhibitionist but always felt a backwards yank like one of those children on a leash. In college, he used the line, I've shown you mine, now show me yours, to cash in on junior celebrity status, unfocused on the future, unwilling to contemplate swaddling himself in uniforms and suits. The vibe of that album was a siren, seducing him to be daredevil, clown, skinny dipping in a pool of shadows that could not hold a half-formed shape. Driver's license, graduation, wedding, the picture kept coming, challenging him to face the mirrors and idolatry, to float in static and epiphanies, babied him stripped away to reveal the tricks of light, the man within. Next poem I'm going to read is Battlefield Typewriter. When I read that J.D. Solinger interrogated POWs in Germany and knocked back stiff ones with Hemingway, it explained everything and nothing. The ashes of Dachau cascaded off the mop tops of his dead-eyed youngsters, bone-dry dandruff, hidden but omnipresent. Confessions filled his battlefield typewriter, and keys clacked like gold fillings against wet pavement. His fingertips calloused from the impossible gravity. He fell apart once, and forever disdained to explain the lost ones the tracks a distant killer makes before disappearing onto a folded page. This next poem is Midlife Man, and as I'm sitting here with a very sore back, this one's very, <laughs> feels very apt to be reading tonight. Uh, the man who ate himself folded inward, a flesh origami, unable to breathe underwater no matter how hard he tried to reverse evolution, to find his fingers in countless versions of self, villages, and family lost. The guilty man hid behind black moons under eyes that had set sail to capture gold and glory. Difficult women in those holy tomes he'd pinned, but forgotten to show to his hunters, those bold selves hacking down to the bone. The angry man kept men in chains, somewhere between bowel and ulcer, so that he could not hear the lashes, self-penitent cries and storm fathers, the cramped muscles and wan hours, fetal in sleep, armored with shades to keep laughter and sun at bay. The wise man architected avalanche, unearthing images of crashing through backyard gardens and wedding china, promises past and future, 
the bits unwilling to succumb to wind. Haymaker fists, tender kiss, the rent skin that held him together this far. The man who released himself folded outward, blinking and sore, able to gaze across scorched land, aware that seeds would sprout new versions of the men whittled from epics before, fire quenched outside and needing to be born. The man who ate himself cannot recall all the men he'd been, the farewells and ashes, adrenaline and tight spots, black eye skids and nails in back, man accordion returned to foraging, each step holding the weight of cells, ache of desire, unbroken earth. This next poem um, it has a sort of a device that where I took a very old draft of a poem and found something interesting in it, but it wasn't quite ready to, to publish in a book. And I found myself debating with my younger self. So there's at least a 10 poems in this collection where I'm kind of speaking to my younger self. This is one of them. High above the airport. You're a decorated pilot descending from a dogfight. No, a child with paper wings plunging spellbound toward earth. The sky is gray, the wind whistling nursery rhymes. Below you, planes taxi in a long line like polite school children waiting to learn the secret behind St. Nick. You've already reached the zenith and there's no choice but to strafe ant people. Even ducks zigzag in formation. No leaders, death surely below. You're a leaf matador, leaping from the boughs of a silver maple, a woman's ripe belly descending. You understand now that flying is waxen wings melting in a sun, innards of skyscrapers, emptiness, smoke. You near the lit runway, planes jockey like pigeons pecking each other's eyes, falling defines ground and sky. You wake to break, squawking, neck stiff, mouth a grave. Inside, there are no winged ones, just a cabin full of strangers, clutching armrests like hands. Soldiers in the Dark. The first time I saw two soldiers kissing was in the Army First Aid Manual. <laughs> Illustrations for resuscitation nestled among splits and tourniquets. Of course, soldiers are loved ones. This is the definition of family, protecting someone with blood and limb. Fear is a hug underwater in a hole barely big enough to hold two tired men huddling for warmth. Lips pressed into rifle barrels, hoping the night doesn't light. Ring finder. The ex-diver who held the job before him was a legend. Retiree from pirate doubloons dug up beneath a man-made waterfall spa. No longer relegated to stringing purple lays, the ring apprentice soon mastered the metal detector, alongside spouses in pools, in surf. He backtracked bands loosened by lotion and was called the ring whisperer by luau fire tossers for his ability to see the circle of life with eyes closed. One was found on a manta ray's tail and airmailed home. Another in a swan's nest. Location swam to him in beach meditations, in ashtrays, under fire pits, on the fist of a mistress. The one ring he never found was tossed by a nocturne bride into a blender, poured into a bottle, 
corked and thrown into foam. He wiped her tears on his uniform sleeve and led her away from groom and doom. At sunrise, their rings tattooed on flesh led them beyond the resort border and solitary beds into the roundness of light. You know, like many L.A. poets, we, we can't help but write about the city. Um, in many cases, adopted. Um, in my case, although I've lived here nearly 20 years. Why I don't carry an umbrella. <laughs> Ten days of rain a year in Los Angeles invokes the legend of sheathed umbrellas. My mother once told me a story about a boy who lost an eye on an umbrella's undercarriage. Mary Poppins has proven that you can get swept away by unbridled passion. Is an umbrella actually an umbrella? (laughs) My umbrella stand is the perfect size for playing sock basketball. I once dreamt I was an umbrella in a giant's hand used as a torture device for a wayward Englishman. Is wetness the existence of love? While E. Coyote taught me that an umbrella cannot block rain in the form of a piano. (laughs) An umbrella stays closed on its hook when the sun's astray and you fear that it is the unanswerable you. Mold spreads in the folds. Can the fabric hold dark matter? Desire cannot be stopped. I slept with an umbrella along my leg after my dog ran away. The sun fears its own shadow in the shape of an umbrella. What else are folded newspapers good for? Because I've never seen the umbrella yet that could lick its own eyebrows. An umbrella is a flower. It opens, it is dying. Is it to be, is to be dry a form of disobedience? A single umbrella cannot protect my children. Freedom is a lo- closed umbrella in the perils of love. houses of straw. The scarecrow felt naked without a straw hat. It flew away in autumn on an oriole's wings and traveled the world three times and back. When the papers came, it was before the harvest. The hat had been woven by the farmer's wife who loved to tuck straw behind his ear, into his ear, for she feared her husband would tear him apart. Now her husband danced through cows in Kunar. When the snows came, she, curkled, she cursed the fickleness of straw. The dead should have more staying power. She ripped the green corn, cracked eggs on the stove. He ate from plastic bags in the rubble of Zabul. The scarecrow lost feet to wind and weathered a flowing white beard. At night, she felt cold behind her ear, in her ear, from the tickling of fear. He wrote about his love for her on his grenades. She dreamed of straw spinning from gold to grass, electric and cool to the touch. She imagined a mustache of straw, unborn children, the color of saffron and dust. He sent her a picture of him cradling a baby on a turret. Her body, once stringy and lean, expanded past all known borders, the sun boiling in her succotash, feeling new hands on her, missing ones now gloved. He was a scarecrow soldier when he left Badambag. Through the thaw, she emerged with hard belly and thoughts and found the hanging post with straw man's coat, nothing but the wind waving her to him, birds building nests out of him.
this is another familiar LA thing. Audition. We are in a cold place with a hot sun. New desert animals shiver or slink in downy husks, migratory nostalgia. The paths are pendulous, skin papery. New desert animals shiver or slink. Hopes and asses are tectonic plates. The paths are pendulous, skin papery against this migratory friction. Hopes and asses are tectonic plates. The crowds rub the landscape raw against this migratory fiction, each of us an eraser of heat. The crowds rub the landscape raw until this labyrinth of sand crumbles, each of us an eraser of heat, sculpting ourselves like diminutive gods. Until this labyrinth of sand crumbles in downy husks, migratory nostalgia, sculpting ourselves like diminutive gods, we are in a cold place with a hot sun. Diplomacy. The president asked the dictator to be his wingman on the ark, the last of their race in a floating fortress buoyed by melting ice caps. The women were reluctant to bed older gentlemen, and various forms of diplomacy were brought to bear, beginning with stolen identities, naval aviators good with a stick, an assertion impossible to disprove beneath smoking skies. They were assigned as janitors, used to clogs and crap, survivors of the death threats after the terrible accident, a fortune paid for the skin grafts that reformed all but their ears. The screams they remembered, but yearned for insistent breath on their necks and the moans that they swore, that swore they were iron rulers of surrounding hills and valleys, the only land moving beneath them to be drilled in the mist of the morning at world's end. This next poem um, is from the headlines. Um, find a lot of inspiration in, in the headlines I read, and often I don't read the articles, but kind of write poetry based on what I think it should be. <laughs> Upon examining the newly hatched chick that flew around the world, what did we think we would find? A canister of microfilm genetically coded to appear inside the chick, so that when it grew to know better, a spy could find the secret plans of our sweet and sour Szechuan beakers shatter. Or maybe the bird would be confused by why humans squawked and probed for clues when it never once hinted about the tiny spacecraft crash-landed in a plastic swimming pool, the alternate future with claws. The metric system fells empires. Or else this chicken can actually fly with feathered grace and send pregnant women into orbit for a new race of dizzy, far-flung progeny. People. Chew. Somewhere in China, there's an underground movement to free the space chicken. Escape plans are drawn in code and a route along the old spice trail is scouted where the ancient snake is most brittle. Fowl are tested to ensure plumpness. Is the Great Wall the only prison visible from space with the naked eye? A 10-year-old girl is shocked by her first period caused by a dose of hormones in her beloved tenders. Even a chick can see borders below as it spins on a rotisserie held by an unseen astronaut's hand. Lightning cannot be safely bottled. Through chicken wire on some distant plane, a hen watches a parade of cloud people eager to be fed. Beakers glow. A space chicken franchise is opening in New Orleans. The shell is cracking. 
Our chickens that have learned to soar tastier in the thigh, behind the wings. Dreams and plots are hatched. Somewhere in a sanitary cubicle on the other side of the globe, a scientist sweats in rubber gloves and feels a tiny heartbeat vibrating soundless from the other side of the barrier. In the time he will have revolved once around the earth, this small world will crack in two. We wait breathless for the first peep. 113 degrees of separation. On the hottest day ever in downtown LA, a bearded man sleeps on his chaise throne, King's jersey and cap protecting his face from the hot lance poking into his realm of cold thoughts, unremembered home. The open electrical box holds a sandwich and wax cup emblazoned with burger crown. No one dare approaches this royal sleeper as our metal beasts belch fire and churn into vaults that connect to tall ice boxes. His majesty, perhaps, has learned too well of the power of siesta and ambient horns, the white-capped mountains of his childhood, the quest for snow captured in damp fabric, the mirage that has risen around his epic. When he wakes, he will once again beat back the heat with windmill arms and curse words in ancient ash tongues. He will swing his middle finger like a scepter to protect the fragile air and our fluid forms from bursting into flames. And, uh, fruits of Labors. My friend's new heart rests in a crevice that housed the pacemaker. The wires fried his old thumper like a zapped alternator. Doctors unsure this loner will ever beat. Blackberries float in a bowl on the counter, separating out the spiders and veiny leaves. Later, he tells me he has gone to some other place, a bifurcation of living and dead, subterranean with the zenith, invisible susurrus of some river with trout with kids splashing. Thorns in those Michigan woods taught patience, fingers careful not to burst the berries' juices. There is one surgeon that goes in to save his legs with a pinnate precision, arteries flushed, and who stays as a bedside after rounds, after the new heart reboots. The taste of the jam boiled and jarred from fly-filled afternoons fills us still. He is unconscious for more than a week, with dreams that make me wonder about what will come after the jam disappears from the pantry, when childhood is near. And the last poem in the collection. Good night. The cry of the rifle cannot be ignored. You hold it tight until silence looms. Good night, light in the red balloon. The shoulder sling keeps your loved one close and you burp it on the night range. Good night, little house and good night, mouse. You swaddle it in rain, clean with soft swabs, and name your precious one after the departed. Good night, nobody. Good night, mush. Separation brings joy and hands tingling from the weight of holding on tight. Good night noises everywhere. And if we have poem, I was think, uh, if we have time, I was thinking about reading a bonus poem. I've been playing with <laughs> prose poems um, a lot recently. It's been kind of a fun for me to be trying a new form. Um, this last one's called California is Sinking, and it is. <laughs> it was water draining 
Earthquakes kissing in the shade of the moon, winking in tune with the marionettes of Godzilla tap dancing for dinner. It was the office pool being rigged before the steering column in the ribs. The storage shed turned into a homeless brig, the matador's cape, or baby's big hung in the closet, or on a billboard begging for consideration. The fib that became the real story rehashed until time lost its will. It was the small screen sucking us in, the vodka gimlet transformed into gin, the famed taco truck up in smoke that we followed for years, the treasure in limbo just beyond the beyond, the yolk discarded in the heart-smart omelet. It was the drone sent out for cigarettes by the director lost in the desert. It was the lost scene in Steinbeck's last work. It was the invisible collapse of the land's face, stretched taut like an actor turned professional patient. It was the hidden reservoir beneath the migrants, migrants streaming into the void. It was the crash that no one heard and the warnings we pretended to ignore. Thank you. Wow, I don't, I don't know if I want to follow that part, but <laughs> uh, thank you so much to Skylight Book for arranging, arranging the reading, and to Martin, who did all of the work to put this together, and I was really bad about responding to only every third email. But yeah, Martin and I go back a million years, and if you follow me on Facebook, the really neat things I put in my posts actually were stolen from his book, some of those lines. But uh, a few minutes ago, I had this... Uh, kind of major emotional experience. My favorite expression is, you know how you make God laugh? You tell him your plans. And uh, if I would go back, oh, about 34 years ago, to a time when I was in the Army, sitting on an airplane next to the guy over there, we were both paratroopers together, and if you would have told me, one day you're going to be given a poetry reading when your book comes out, and that Jack Easton is going to go to the reading and hear you read, we both would have said you're smoking crack. You never know how life is going to turn out. So thank you, everyone, for coming. It's people from so many different corners of my life uh, that I know forever, uh, some through poetry, some through advertising. And then sometimes they intersect. For years, I wanted to get an interview with Peter Sertzak over there when he was running a big agency, and he would never return my call until I sent him some poems. And then he finally did. That's a true story. And then there's Soraya in the back, who I won't say how long we know each other because I lie about my age. I don't know if you do. <laughs> So with that said, but first, that's the name of the poem, but first. (laughs) But first, my thoughts are as impure as yours and would no longer be difficult to memorize each other's every virtue. My bones have not always been made of straw. Each day is a slice of bread and we're free to argue the significance of butter and other temptation. But first, we have decisions to make. If you dance with me, If we agree to fall down a flight of stairs together. If we wore each other's underwear for the entire day. When I heard you say we can do better, I wasn't sure if it was a question or a statement. Is tomorrow your turn to blacken my eye? In my next life, I promise to be something similar to a river. We have one more chance to make cherry pits our favorite form of currency again. One more chance to prove you can enjoy anything if you imagine the right music playing in your head. This next poem is called The Ledgermain, which 
I kind of sort of forget what that word actually means. I think it's an old French word for someone who's really good at something. Embarrassing to say it's the name of one of my poems. I don't remember the word. Door-to-door sales is a tradition in my family. My mother bought me from a door-to-door salesman when I was five weeks old. I've sold everything from door-to-door, from silverware to poison. Drank hemlock three times as a demonstration. Slowly closing the eyes is an effective sales tool. I was 36 when I sold my first tulip, a red emperor, to a man on his way to a funeral. Stopped him in the driveway. He held the tulip and sobbed. Selling tulips is selling desire. Other flowers, other flower salesmen sell cliches. The tulip is a nightmare rehabilitated, closer to a human heart than a rose. Tulips are the ears of the dead. My work has hardened my knuckles. At the end of the day, I sit in my car and watch the sun set in the rearview mirror. The Montaflame is my favorite tulip. The way its orange and red petals cup every dirty secret you've ever told. This poem is called The Relentless. One day we'll know how long the dead have to be dead before they feel hunger. One day it'll be summer forever. In the meantime, the weather looking for its cue keeps an eye on me, and I keep an eye, and I keep whatever money's in my pocket crumpled in a ball. A relentless responsibility dogs me, and the funny thing is, these are the lyrics to a happy song. Go ahead, tap your foot, snap your fingers. We're roasting a pig in the yard. This is called The Fear. Love without fear is meaningless. It's a machine like grief, always in the early stages of invention. I was once the human equivalent of a starfish. Each limb torn from my back grew each limb torn from my body grew back. But the world stopped performing triage on me years ago. There's a new science developing here, I just can't put my finger on it. Perhaps this is a trick I play on myself, a survival strategy of sorts. How troubling would it be if I didn't survive? Each night my house catches fire, burns to ashes, thick black braids of smoke assemble on the roof and push into the darkness. Each night I sweat into my dreams and wake pale as the sky each morning. Mathematics plays a role in most forms of disappointment. See for yourself. You can calculate everything. Everything. Now, so many people here know me, so if you think you recognize someone in the poem, you probably do. (laughs) We were similar in that way. It was windy in the snow globe. Our window panes rattled. Snow piled at the door. We held hands and sat cross-legged on the floor. We didn't know when the storm would pass. Take whatever you want, she said. I said the same, and neither of us took a thing. After we let go of each other, I decided what to do with my hands. She decided to run sobbing from the house into the swirling snow. That was the last time I saw her. Yes, we were once that small. I've already said too much. Not that I really have, but that's the name of the poem. (laughs) An old man and woman live inside my heart. I don't know what language they speak, but know they speak with an accent. When I sleep, they dance like old people dance when no one is looking. I promised a doctor I wouldn't discuss this, promised a lover I wouldn't reveal names. Some things we know can never be explained. I don't believe it's possible for snow to fall inside my heart. I don't know if the old man and woman love me or even like me for that matter. It's late. 
Once again, I'll attempt to sleep. I bite my tongue to keep my hands from shaking. It's almost time for something to happen. So I just noticed a weird coincidence. There's two poems in the book with the word experiments in the title. And I just noticed that. (laughs) The experiments that brought us together. I commanded a squadron of yellow jackets. A hiss or grunt dispatched their obedience in pursuit of my bidding. She she commanded a towering cumulonimulus. Meteorologists felt threatened when she shook her head. What brought us together was knowing that love is an experiment no different than filling a balloon with helium and holding your breath until it disappears. We discovered discovered sex was a pain reliever. More than once I was willing to pit my yellow jackets against her cloud and vice versa, but it never came to that. What it did come to was her wanting to throw a glass of water in my face. What I wanted I kept to myself. We discovered promise and divination were synonyms in a form of currency. Now let's experiment with mercy. This next poem is called Notes Taken During an Arrhythmia. Actually, I sent that poem once to Soraya, and she read it and wrote back, Oh my God, did you have a heart attack? True story. Notes taken during an arrhythmia. My soul is a black my soul is a black rag soaked in gasoline. My bones are rickety flagpole in the wind. If language is a wilderness, what does this say about the scrupulously worded truths? One day you'll see white tip reef sharks ascending into a thundercloud on thermals. One day they'll line the church bells with the tongues of sinners and we'll all sing along. One day there'll be so much more, but I've already promised too much. The woman I loved made the woman I loved most made a wagon from my ribcage, used wheels from roller skates. Her dog pulled it when she brought vegetables at a farmer's market. This poem is called The Garden. Together we're a map of a foreign country, novice speakers of the native language. Together we're hands broken on a clock, our mistakes public predictable. We're shoes hanging from telephone wire. Birds have their way with us. Now let's talk about us apart. She adds pepper to every recipe. I stop using the trunk of my car. If love makes us better people, I refuse to believe potatoes have eyes. She asked me to shower with her. I lie and say I'm too tired. Together we're Rorschach tests, furniture assembly instructions. You get the idea. This next poem is called, There Were Indications That This Would Happen. Let me move my little clip so I could read it. She accused me of corruption. She accused me of happenstance and mortality. She excused me of plotting our future one night at a time. Such accusations. I tried to explain how each wind on earth begins in a man's painful lungs. Thank God for strong teeth, steel lips, the damage that's possible. Through the entire dinner, the pressure in my chest, I didn't say a word. Candlelight sparkled on silverware in a waiter's hand as he listened to her questions. Imagine a constellation on the side of a butter knife. I began to think of excuses that would allow me to leave the table without looking back. 
This is the last page of a novel I never wrote. I loved her and I'm allowed to say that. You should be taking notes. In the backyard, the fighting cocks, razor strapped to the claws, were saying their prayers before the fight. This next poem is called The Pity. It's written in three numbered stanzas. I don't know why that's important, but there are numbers there. One. After he shot the dog, we skinned it, grilled, and pretended the meat was imported and expensive. Everything is easier to believe sitting under a tree drinking liquor on a Sunday evening. Two. It wasn't long before the damn grass soaked through my pants. When I sleep, people think I'm dead. The Greeks invented pity to have something of value to sell after all the slaves were auctioned off. Three. I pretended not to know why he borrowed my revolver. On the other side of the hedges, I could hear a girl crying. But it could be something else. Whoever looks at me while I sleep appears in my dreams. This next poem is called, She Explained Me to Her Mother Using Latinate Words. No, she really did. It's true. I have a version of the poem in Latin, if anyone can read Latin, no? A love of handcuffs led her to a career in law enforcement. A love of handcuffs led me to a career in crime. The day we met, are they too tight? No. She tightened them and smiled, and I smiled too. When I was seven, when I, was seven I tied my legs together. Love of handcuffs wasn't the only love that brought us together. A life-size drawing of a skeleton framed on our wall, pink, pen, ink, red chalk on paper. We both love anatomy. When I was eight, I stole handcuffs and cuffed a cat to a dog. When she was eight, she stole handcuffs and cuffed herself to a fence. Boys pulled down her pants. Sometimes, just sometimes, I hear her bones when she straddles me and rocks back and forth. If you have ten fingernails, you're normal. We gave our bones new names, Ulna, man and woman, and a police car. Humorous, now we soothe. I prepare breakfast on Sundays, anchovies, pancakes, sunflowers besides a coffee cup, medinal cuneiform. This, this is our moon. She wore her uniform at my parole hearing, was proud when she walked in the room, badge, lipstick, polished nightstick, etc., red scars on our wrists like bracelets, clavicle, oh my darling, tarnish my tongue. This poem is called And Then and Then Imperium. The ghost inside me shouts into my dreams, claims if she weren't dead she would be too beautiful for me. Now I'm all she has. My body is a haunted house. A ghost could walk inside forever without reaching a wall. Another ghost swears he haunted my father. When I ask about his last thoughts, dead breath blows across my bones. My body, my body is finally the shambles that we always expected. Surgeons are sharpening their scalpels. In the next life, the great men will be snails. Why some people are haunted and others are not is something scientists have investigated for decades. A third ghost looks out from my ear at a pillow and imagines suffocating me. My favorite sounds are anything dragged across the wooden floor. Listening closely is how I learn ghosts own the, two fran- the true franchise on Imperium. Two more poems. This next one is called The Nature of the Correspondence and the Required Heroics. 
nature of a poem requires an attempt at heroics. A storm, set, a storm steps to the horizon and rattles the sky each time you wake from a nightmare alone in bed. And the nature of a call to the heart, the circus clown sits in the middle of a tent. The bright red of the lips is worn off. The big round nose is missing. He's playing spoons on his knees. Civilization is a dance step always in need of new music. The nature of a pause, again, this is about you. Fall back to sleep, humming a song. It's a false sort of courage, but right now any courage will do. Every letter of the alphabet was once a soldier armed with a pike marching through a muddy field. Read any story close enough and you could track the letters back to that field. This uh, last poem is called Cloud Theory. No one gave much thought to the weight of the cumulonimbus cloud overhead until it collapsed, killing 49 people. The weight of a typical cumulus, a little over 2 billion pounds. Notice typical and little. It's nuances like this that separate us from animals. It makes me nervous to think about the darkness inside my body. What other animal do you think would think about that? One religion still insists clouds originate as the dying breaths of angels destined to be reincarnated as God. Scientists estimate the oldest cloud on earth, an alto, an alto cumulus lenticularis, has survived 287 years, the runner-up 42 years. The discrepancy is being investigated. When I was young, I kept three clouds in a mason jar, came home from school one day and they were gone. Years later, my mother told me my father flushed them down the toilet. <laughs> After making love to a woman with clouds painted on her ceiling, I told her about the metal plate in my head. She left me the next day. Years later, she wrote to say she had a metal plate in her head. This is how we learn from each other. <laughs> Only three species of clouds are known to have gone extinct. Perhaps clouds have more in common with sharks than waves do. I think I'm talking about courage. Altostratus, Mamamatus, Cirrus, non, no electro, I can't even pronounce the name of that cloud. So we're going to leave him out. Altostratus, Mamatus, Cirrus, when I'm afraid, really afraid, I quietly chant, Altostratus, Mamatus, Cirrus, and go to sleep. Sometimes in the morning, before work, I sit in my car, watch clouds gather in the sky, twitch like an eye with something small, very small, caught under the lid. Thank you. Okay, so we'll do just a couple of minutes of question and answer, and then after that, you can get your book signed. And don't expect an honest answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The last word in your ghost poem, Imperium? Yes. What is that? I think that means heaven. Okay. I think. So... Not looking for an academic answer, but if I say to you both, what is a poem? How would you answer it just off the top? I'll let you go first. I answer. <laughs> um, for me, a, a poem is a state that I get into of writing that I, I can't match doing anything else. That, that's one definition. Okay. Uh, my answer is an original. I stole it from someone else. Statements made on the way to the grave. 
so what's the difference between prose and poetry for both of you? You want to go first? Well, that, that's that's really confusing for me as well. I have had poems I've sent to magazines that have been published as stories, and vice versa, um, in some cases. So the line is sometimes blurred, you know. But for me, which is why I've been playing with prose poems. But for me, it's it's a, a story has a narrative um, that is usually front and center to the endeavor. Um, things happen. And for a reason, sometimes in poetry, you discover the reason. I don't know. I'll change your, your question just a little. The difference between fiction and poetry as opposed to prose and yeah. poetry. Fiction is the art of the story, and poetry is the art of language. Poem doesn't have to be about anything. It's just about language. But, but fiction has to have a narrative, a storyline to it. Poem doesn't need it. What makes you write one or the other? I don't know how to write fiction. <laughs> And he promised me he was going to stop writing it. <laughs> uh, you know, I double dip a lot. I, I write the same thing as a poem, and then I'll, I'll have the same subject matter as a story, or a story I'll start, and I'll write a poem. So I, you know, for me, it, it um, you know, I don't have to choose, I guess. There's also way too many words in the, in the novel. You know. <laughs> take a look, like, wow. That would be one short story. <laughs> I was just curious since you both oh, have someone. Well, I, I asked Rick before, like, who his favorite poets are. Martin. No, I asked him before. I don't go down the list, Peter. But and, uh, who are your favorite Vincent writers of poetry? Uh, of, of mine? Um, yeah. You know, letting a, a couple come to mind, I really like um, Tony Hoagland and Laura Kozischke, and I, I like I find myself liking a lot of, of sort of dead poets. and. Uh, some of the Europeans like that Rick is a, a So you like me better if I died right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Do my favorite poet is the greatest writer in the history of the human race, Janos Ritzos. Who? Janos Ritzos. Y-A-N-N-I-S Ritzos, R-I-T-S-O-S. He's very good. Because of Rick, I've read, I've read his books. Can you recite one? I can't recite my own poems. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. Okay, let's give them a round. Thank you so much. Um, if you would like your book signed, please find them at the front first and then line up along travel writing. I'll get rid of these chairs. Along travel and set up writing, a that's a hell of a trip. <laughs> You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.